Mini episode 1482 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1482. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with one of our favorite FDH Lounge dignitaries, my good pal Jake Digman. And we are coming at you today. We teased doing this segment a while back, the last time we were doing some WWE analysis. A little bit of state of AEW uh, as far as where they're headed going into the summer of 2022. A very critical summer, a very critical stretch ahead, which we'll be covering. And then we'll also take a look at the first event of the summer here, the upcoming Double or Nothing pay-per-view. It will be the fourth one in the history of AEW already. doesn't hardly seem possible, but we are at that point, and it's back in Las Vegas where it all began in 2019. So who better to talk about the best pro wrestling on the planet today with than my good pal Jake Digman? Couldn't think of anybody better. Glad to have you on, buddy. I'm glad to be on with you, Rick. And so this isn't going to be our usual burial fest, huh? We're going to do something, uh, something fresh and different. I like it. Yes, yes. Uh, we, we buried WWE a lot on there. But having said that, there were some things, I think, that we pointed out that were positive. I mean, certainly the way that they brought Cody in when we did the WrestleMania breakdown, there were some things. And so I think this is going to be largely the same because I do have a few points of constructive criticism to make. And they're more so, I guess, on the business side, because creatively, I think it's pretty strong all the way around. I say pretty strong at this point when I would normally say hugely strong. I mean, this is, this is a season when it may not be necessarily as great as it was, say, heading into last year at All Out or sometimes like this. Anybody's going to have ebbs and flows. But from a business perspective, I do have some thoughts here on uh, what I'd like to see them do to kind of tighten it up. So it's not going to be necessarily 100% roses coming from me, but obviously I come from a place of believing that it's a great product, and my criticisms are constructive where they are, and I think they're relatively mild because, like any fan of AEW, I want to see it stick around, I want to see it thrive, I want to see the next TV contract be even stronger than this one so that they can keep building and retaining stars and keep giving us the great things that they have been, Jake. Uh, I agree with you, Rick, and uh, let's let's dive into this and let's uh, take a look at the state of AEW All Elite Wrestling as it is right now. And the other thing that's interesting, you know, if somebody would have told you five years ago that there was going to be professional wrestling back on the old Turner networks, you never would have believed them, right? It's incredible. It really kind of is incredible, and in that it ended up there of all places, but. In the same token, though, by the same token, it's one of these things where if it was going to pop up anywhere, with the way that the TV conglomerates are today, right? I mean, it's all a bunch of corporate families out there. You've got the Turner Networks families. You've got the ones under the Paramount banner. You've got the ones under the NBC Universal banner. And so it becomes process of elimination when you see where WWE has their connections with the different networks, and they don't have an official connection 
with ESPN, but I think ESPN and Disney, they're not necessarily keen to go into competition with WWE. They probably learned their lesson with AWA and World Class back in the day. So, I mean, by process of elimination, Jake, when you start thinking about it, as, as weird as it sounds to think that we've come full circle from the beginning of the 21st century to where we are 20-plus years later, there aren't that many places for wrestling to end up these days. The more things change, the more they stay the same as far as the number of places being relatively constant that could pay for programming like that. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you're, you're right about that. I mean, if, if we look over the course of really the past 30 years, the um, only real network homes that we had minus a brief flirting with um, TNA when they were on Fox Sports Net, but that was a, a case where they, TNA was actually paying. It was essentially paid programming on Fox Sports. Other than that, I mean, we've had pretty much the same major players, that being the uh, TNT, TBS, of course, USA, which is now under the NBC Universal, and then for that uh, brief period of the, the uh, mid to late two, 2000s, we had... Um, uh, what was then known as Spike TV. I don't even know what it's going to think. It's Paramount Network now. Paramount, I do believe. yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it's, it's one of those situations where, you know, whatever is old is uh, new again. Oh, and of course, there is uh, Ring of Honor on all of the networks that Sinclair owned. But that might be able to tie into this conversation about uh, AEW as well, because who knows moving forward what the, uh, the, the future of that Tony Khan now owned brand is going to be as far as television clearances and whatnot. And, you never know. Maybe one day we could see some uh, ROH specials going on uh, TBS or TNT. You just never know. You never know. And you know what? I'd like to start there. That's a good place. Let, let's start with the ROH stuff because I think everything will be a logical flow once we get back into the quote-unquote pure uh, AEW stuff. That uh, They're at a point in time now where uh, Tony Khan has kind of hinted that he's had some discussions with Warner Media about finding a home for the uh, programming here. And again, I say this not just as somebody who is currently subscribed to HBO Max, but, I mean, I think that would be, so again, it's in my best interest, I think that would be a great place not only for the ROH library and the AEW library, but for a weekly ROH show. I think it would make a lot of sense if they could do that, but Tony Khan's got to find a place for a weekly show. Some people have suggested, at least in the near term, do it on YouTube. I don't think so because, again, it's going to be kind of tough to monetize that, and uh, rightly or wrongly, it, 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 there's a certain kind of feel to it as far as not being as big time, and I think that's kind of unfair, the way that some people can be snobby, but perception can be reality. You want it to come across as a big league product. What I would do, quite frankly, I'd lop off uh, AEW uh, Dark or Ele Dark Elevation. I, I think you, you've only got room for four shows uh, a week, even if one of them is sort of purely dedicated to uh, ROH, and uh, I hope that uh, Tony Khan accepts some booking help because, as I understand it, him and his dad's team in the Premier—they're uh, back in the Premier League in England this year. I guess relegation—they're going up the ladder this time, so that's going to take up more of his time. I—I I, I have a list of guys that I'd like to see and gals moved over to R, uh, ROH out of AEW, but before we get to that, I want to get your thoughts on some of the things I've said already, and also any thoughts on Tony Khan uh, maybe putting together, whether it's a booking committee, whatever the heck it's going to be, but people to really help him with all of the details of these kinds of things, because the guy basically has like four full-time jobs as it is right now. Yeah, there's only so many hours in a day, and only so much time that you can, uh, that one can allocate to 
with those hours of the day, being, you know, already a, with a full-time job running AEW, and then also running, you mentioned the Premier League, it's uh, the uh, football that is known in everywhere else but the States. Yep. And then, um, also, he has a his hand in the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars organization with his uh, father as well. So, and now you add on Ray of Honor with that. Um, I 100% agree that he should um, take on some help and be willing. And there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I need to back up, I need some help on this. Um, I feel that he, as far as the ROH portion of the conversation, I feel like he has done a very good job in trying to maintain what was the, the I guess, the, the feel of ROH by bringing in, you know, Bobby Cruz to ring announce the uh, matches to give it some kind of specialness that's a little different from your regular um AEW matches, so it's not just, hey, here's another, the unfortunate side effect of when they did the WWE did their, or WWF at the time, had WCW come in, it was like, you know, they did one shot, and it was like, with two announcers who were never a broadcast team on uh, WCW programming, and flopped miserably, I like that Tony Khan has taken the approach of, you know, trying to, even within the little piece of pie right there, a niche, within the AEW, uh, I hate to use this term, but universe. <laughs> um, within that whole little world right there, it's like, it's he's letting, so far, the things that make Ring of Honor be Ring of Honor. And I think moving forward, I agree with you that um, I love the idea of an HBO Max, um, especially that being a uh, Warner Brothers subsidiary already, mm-hmm. to go in there and add, you know, just look at the uh, the library with AEW and now Ring of Honor all the backlog of footage they could be putting up that, that would entice wrestling fans to want to come in and watch that and plus it'll give a sufficient outlet hopefully to be able to purchase their pay-per-views moving forward because it's like all over the board is a traditional pay-per-view fight uh, the fight app in some areas uh bleacher report in other areas it would be nice to be able to say hey go here to watch this product and uh set other product as well and I, I, you know, absolutely look forward to you know, what what the future holds for both AEW and Ring of Honor. But yeah, there's no shame in saying he needs some help. But you know what? I wouldn't be opposed if he brought in Hunter Johnson, aka Delirious, and let him you know pick up right where he left off because no one knows more about that product than he does. I agree, and here I want to make a point about ROH. I I want to kind of build off of something that you said there because there's a thing. Meltzer said a while back, and I, I as, as smart as he is, nobody knows more about the business than him, but I didn't agree with this, of where he felt like for imaging purposes, maybe just fold the ROH stuff in. I didn't think so, because I think having a second brand, if you can do it in a way where it doesn't feel secondary or developmental, that is a good thing, because ROH has, at least among the hardcores, a very distinct identity. Now, the thing of it is, is it will be, and it should be, uh, used as at least partially a developmental system for guys. It's going to be a good place for guys to get reps before coming over to uh, to AEW. It'll be sort of a promotion from a lot of the guys who've been on YouTube. And like I said, I have specific thoughts on guys I want to see move there. But what I think is good with ROH and the way that it is, is where they've emphasized when it's been on TV, like you said, Bobby Cruz has been out there doing the announcing. They emphasize the, the role of the handshakes before and afterwards. The fact that they still have a pure champion now in Wheeler Yuta, it's going to be interesting. I, I assume he's going to be going back and forth between the two. I don't want to see that with too many guys, but I don't have a problem with them doing it with Wheeler Yuta because they're clearly grooming him to be a very, very big thing. But what's good about it is ROH has a, an identity 
that is a little bit different than just about any other wrestling promotion out there. And I think it's a way where it helps, uh, hopefully, as they go along, it'll help stop it from feeling secondary. Even though, let's face it, between the two promotions, it's going to be. But again, whether it be having a pure title, the handshakes, all the different things about it, it, it could be presented as, you know, maybe, maybe you look at it like AEW is the best of pro wrestling and ROH is the best of niche pro wrestling. Something to basically make it seem like the best of something and not secondary to, you know, the, the major promotion that it's affiliated with. I agree with, with that, and that's also the reason why it would need to find a major home as far as uh, broadcasting and not go on YouTube, because as you said earlier, just to reiterate that, if it, they just put it on YouTube and that's their main show for uh, ROH, it'll just come across as less than, and then, you know, you don't want anything like that in the minds of the fans, because then you're going to push away um, the hardcore ROH fans that have been there from the beginning of it, and then it's also going to have um, your new fans that come in and look at it and go, well, why do I have to watch this? Yeah, that's an excellent, excellent point, and I really think that, uh, again, it's an opportunity where you know you have some established talents in there. Uh, Jonathan Gresham being the champion uh, is excellent. I think he fits that product better than AEW, although uh, I, I think, again, at his size, it wouldn't be the detriment being in AEW that it would be in WWE. So down the line, once he's done being world champion, I could see him moving over to AEW. But a mixture of established guys like that, uh, anybody that they sign from ROH that, that is currently a free agent should be in ROH, like Dalton Castle. If he gets signed, put him in ROH. I'd like to see all of that for continuity purposes. Plus, you have some veterans in there to work with the young guys. Here, here's the list of uh, people I'd like to see moved over there. I would send over uh, Lee Moriarty, Lee Johnson, Brock, don't call me Glock Anderson. I would send over the Varsity Blondes, uh, Butcher Blade, and uh, Bunny, and on Helico, as well as Private Party, I just send the whole family office, whatever we're calling it now, Hardy family office, Andrade family office, whatever. Uh, I, I think that they could be better utilized uh, in a promotion like that. I'd send House of Black over, as controversial as that is. I think they're having trouble fitting on AEW right now, and I think maybe a good dominant run in ROH could kind of help retool them. I'd send over uh, Aaron Solo and Nick Camarado, and I would send Nick Nemeth over there. And I think uh, Nemeth is somebody who could have a pretty bright future, but I'm not seeing much of a present for him on the AEW landscape. And I guess that's the whole common denominator of a lot of these guys here. Not all of them, like House of Black is not being used as jobbers to the stars, but basically the way that it's been working is the younger guys, as they work their way up, are basically jobbers to the stars. They get their wins uh, on YouTube and everything like that for the most part. And I think that that sort of emerging middle class, I think that they are ready to be the anchor of ROH with the accoutrements of, you know, a Jonathan Gresham and whoever else uh, gets signed uh, on more of a veteran level to come over there. So that's basically my vision for how I like to see the talent apportioned. Um, I, I agree with you, but also I also feel that you need to have some kind of established names because right now it just comes across to me. Personally, it just sounds like more of a, a what you said earlier, and it sounds a lot like a developmental territory, mm -hmm. which I guess you know, that is the idea of what you want to go with. But you also need a, so, 
some kind of an anchor that's there, even if, you know, and this is the beauty of this, they could go back and forth. You could have a revolving yes. door of a veteran anchor. You could bring in anybody with the ties to Ring of Honor could come in there with, you know, names from a Samoa Joe to a Jay Lethal to a Brian Danielson to a CM Punk. If you're trying to, you know, establish this brand and especially to say, oh, okay, you never know who's going to, uh, the forbidden door. You never know who's going to, it wouldn't even be a forbidden door, it would just be the revolving door. And it would, especially for those hardcore, diehard ROH fans to see a lot of those names that they've seen throughout the years. I mean, let's just say, you know, throw it out there. You want to do a uh, Ring of Honor pay-per-view, right? It's exclusively under that umbrella. You put Samoa Joe versus CM Punk on there one last time and advertise it as that, like their final battle. Wow, it's interesting. <laughs> you know, the final battle of, of Joe and Punk. And then you have, you know, that is your at the top there. And even if you want to do a Danielson challenging Jonathan Gresham, and then use the rest of the card to give these underutilized guys opportunity to learn. Because that is one of the unfortunate drawbacks. And we, we said we would acknowledge the criticism of AEW. A lot of these guys don't really get a lot of time to get reps in at work because they're not doing... You know, they're sure they pick up ending dates here and there, but how many of them are actually doing that? How often do you see a varsity blonde, you know, performing, going and competing on an indie show over the weekend? Dr. Britt Baker was just in Akron, Ohio, miles down the road for me the uh, Saturday night, um, doing a favor for some old friends down there at the AIW show in the Northeast Ohio area. But, you know, for the most part, you know, these guys work once a week, and if they're not on the show, or they're just wrestling, you know, on limited to the uh, dark and the dark elevation shows. It's, you know, how many days you got to constantly be working, and getting reps in, in order to get better, or else you're just going to stay stagnant, in my opinion. So hopefully this will give an opportunity, and eventually, um, as growth and development comes with the, the ROH brand and even the AEW brand, for that matter, hopefully one day they'll. Uh, grow to the point where they will include house shows and or live events for people to go out and go see and it'll give these guys more and more work because you know if you uh we've heard from every veteran in the wrestling business television is not where you want to get your growing pains you need to have the area the opportunity to you know expand your repertoire and connect with an audience without those cameras there so you can try it on tv but unfortunately just in the nature of the wrestling business in 2022 Television is their only opportunity to learn and grow. So I would like to see that expand and give these guys uh, some more opportunities and creating something like how ROH used to be. I'm not saying it was all the way back to like strictly DVD, but to have like, you know, their events be a big time event, like have an ROH event on a Saturday night like they used to do back in the day when they'd come through town and every single show they did, although granted it was just a glorified house show, but every one of them felt like a big deal because that was their only means of which doing shows. Yes, and we talked about this previously that uh, AEW, that their TV actually in many ways sort of mimics the whole indie super show model. And uh, that's a very good uh, example of it right there, what you're talking about, how, how ROH used to run. There's talk about them potentially running quarterly pay-per-views, maybe the same weekends as AEW pay-per-views. I think Tony Khan was asked about that, said that he found it intriguing. And what I think could help both promotions, like you said, in terms of getting enough star power on the ROH shows and helping avoid the congestion on 
AEW pay-per-views where you're, you're desperately trying to fit everybody in. And if you don't have a paper, if you don't have a uh, casino battle royale or something like that, then you could be looking at circumstances like this week where uh, I guess FTW and uh, Darby Allen, as of right now, are not scheduled to be on double or nothing, which is kind of incredible. So maybe one or two R uh, AEW guys moving over to ROH, maybe like for the stretch from one pay-per-view to the next. Either you build up a program there, or like you said, maybe Danielson in a title chase against Gresham, something like that. But I think you could kill two birds with one stone as far as not having AEW be stretched too thin and getting enough star power on the ROH shows uh, to be able to complement having the younger guys develop. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And, and it'll give an, an opportunity for people to, uh, to work with uh, and, you know, veterans who know what they're doing and give the younger guys a chance to hold their grab. And most importantly, it'll help them develop more stars. Because at the end of the day, that's, you know, all these guys that are coming in now aren't getting any younger. Your Punks, your Joes, your Danielsons, you know, even your Kenny Omegas. So that, uh, at some point, um, AEW is going to have to develop their next crop of stars. And, they're, you know, they've done a fairly good job of, uh, like, MJF is the first one that pops up. Uh, I'm pretty sure he does for you as well. Right. As far as one of the uh, best homegrown stars. I, I mentioned Dr. Britt Baker earlier. It's another great home, uh, homegrown star. So there's a couple that I feel they've dropped the ball on that could have done something. But, you know, like uh, Jungle Boy, for example, I think they've, you know, despite the fact that he's the, been the the reigning one half of the world tag team champions. I just, for some reason, I just feel like there's something missed in there and they could be doing more with him. Um, there's other, Sammy Guevara is one of those ones, like when he was in the inner circle, it's kind of like a flip-flop. I think his booking has been uh, questionable. Um, but they've also done, you know, a, a great job with uh, various other guys. I mean, you mentioned the, uh, was it Private Party? Yes. You know, mm -hmm. that could probably, you know, they, they came in with a lot of, uh, like a house of fire, and then they, you know, they tampered off and they were victims of what I think is one of these situations where, and as I say, follow the talent, where there's only so much time on a broadcast. Right. So they're just trying to get everybody in as much as possible. So another great example is all of the Dark Order. For the past two years, pretty much all they've done is just, I mean, once in a while you'll get like a John Silver match or look as they'll, they'll have a match, but they've been used as, as basically jobbers to the stars. And then for the most part, it's just been, you know, like, I cannot tell you, I think I've seen Colt Cabana wrestle one match in two years. Right. Just like off the top of my head. And that's, a, that's another guy that would be a great example for someone to send over to ROH. He's got ties with the company. And I mean, you know, fresh him up a little bit, do it. Maybe do a heel run with them. Mm -hmm. uh, how he's, you know, whatever you want to do. But you know, again, the possibilities are endless. No, they really, really are. And uh, you know, as we take kind of a wider look here at where AEW's at right now, uh, I mentioned they've got a big run coming up this summer. Of course, uh, as we talked about, we are on the doorstep of Double or Nothing. From there, a month later. Forbidden Door, we'll talk a little bit about that, the joint pay-per-view with New Japan Pro Wrestling, which uh, should be awesome. I'm guessing this is going to be in July, probably the next Battle of the Belts special, and they've been moving towards kind of a championship week format with that. It's interesting that the last two times they've done Battle of the Belts, it sort of felt like a second hour of Rampage, but the whole week has been loaded up with title matches, so every time they do it, it seems to be like a week-long kind of a deal, 
I'm guessing that the the one that they do in the fall is probably going to be the week of Arthur Ashe because that would make sense, right? Do a fourth hour from Arthur Ashe. That would be pretty incredible. But in between the, that period of time, you're going to have all out in early September. So it's a very big run that they are starting right now. The big run last summer, the last time we did a real big breakdown of AEW, uh, they had the first Rampage coming up. Uh, from there, the first dance, the debut of CM Punk at the United Center, which was the biggest open secret out there. Double or Nothing also in Chicago, Grand Slam at Arthur Ashe, Dynamite, and Rampage. And of course, at Double or Nothing, the debuts of Brian Danielson, Adam Cole, and Ruby Soho, all of which were being strongly rumored at that time to happen at about that time. And we said that it was going to be incumbent on AEW to crush it, and if possible, to surpass the sky-high expectations. I feel like on many levels they did. I feel like uh, we all kind of came out of it afterwards, most of us who were watching this going, wow, expectations were sky-high, and if anything, they might have surpassed it. One of the things is that, uh, again, there's a lot of, you, you can't throw a dead rat on Twitter without hitting a bad faith critic of, of AEW, unfortunately. And what a lot of them are pointing to is the fact that there hasn't been an appreciable change in business over the last year. The very excellent WrestleNomics site goes through and, and catalogs this, as does uh, Dave Meltzer, of course. And in terms of ratings, in terms of uh, the, the specific subsector of the ratings as far as the uh, 18 to 49 demographic, uh, you know, going through this, I mean, they are doing somewhat better than they were a year ago, and even when they're down, it's only because of extreme competition like basketball and hockey playoffs, etc. cetera. Uh, but they're not where they were. You know, we, we would have thought going into that last year maybe that that kind of a critical success, rating success at the time, would have led to more of, of a sharp uptick up. I think I might have expected that at the time. And it hasn't materialized yet, and not to say that it won't, but like I said, any of the constructive criticism that I have that I'm going to give in this segment stems from, I want to see them be able to take that step, Jake Digman. I'm not 100% sure as to why it hasn't happened and why there hasn't been more growth in the period of time since then. They, they've been doing okay. At least they haven't gone backwards but I think we'd all like to see more growth from them because it's going to be very instrumental in getting the next TV deal, especially in the wake of the merger with uh, Warner Media and Discovery. A lot of us still have post-traumatic stress syndrome from the last time the Turner Networks uh, went through something like this and they had wrestling when AOL Time Warner decided they didn't want wrestling back in 01. I don't think we're at risk of that happening again. But they got to keep putting their best foot forward business-wise. We all want to see it, those of us who love the promotion. A couple things. Number one, uh, to this day, I still have a disdain for Jamie Kelvin. Um, <laughs> screw him. Forget, screw him. Took out my entire, you know, uh, and screw Felicity, too, while we're at it. Just, yes. You know, that's where they came from. Um, I want to touch on the, 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 the comment you made about the, the ratings. And I, I just want to point out, I think that it's more important that they haven't lost an audience as opposed to rather grow the audience and I do believe the audience has grown however the metrics by which we measure how an audience grows this isn't the 90s this isn't like even the 2000s where everyone was so obsessed with the television ratings there are so many different means by which especially the younger generations with the that coveted 18 to 45 demographic of which they get their their programming whether it be like you know through DVR, I don't, 
I, I, again, I'm not going to just stand here and pretend like I'm uh, an expert on all these, uh, uh, how the television industry works, but there, what's it called, Rick? It's something, it's something like, uh, there's a name for it, where it's like, you know, because the stream, if somebody DVR something, it doesn't register within their, um, as come up in ratings. Right. And then you also have to look at it. I forget, I don't know if you know the name of it or not. We could look it up perhaps. But um, there's a name for that. That like that goes into a completely separate category that's not included in this. Also, if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't in some areas um, the, the uh, Dynamite, is that available on Fight in other areas around the world? Yes. Am I mistaken? I believe okay. so. Like Canada, I think. Okay. So that's another air measurement that, includes, that doesn't include uh, the, the television ratings the days of like you know oh my gosh wcw versus the wwf they got a three point they got a 4.5 in this thing and they got a 4.1 i don't we've gone well past that we're in the era now of where it's like okay like and again going back to you know the, the hbo max idea if you get on something like that then you can see okay this is the exact amount of streams the exact amount of views that are happening and the reason why I bring this up and where I think is a point of contingency to show the growth for the brand is the percentage of fans out of that, um, we'll, we'll say average, what, AEW average around 900,000 to a billion views, correct? Right. Roughly. The percentage of those fans that buy AEW pay-per-view and merchandise is incredible. Right. It is such a high, it's much higher than the WWE. The WWE, even in their heyday, before the uh, advent of the network, you know, even if they're getting like, you know, I don't know, uh, we'll see, go for a 4.5 rating or whatever, they're only getting maybe at most 5 to 10% of those people plopping down the money to uh, purchase it. Right. That, I might be, I might be, be even be very generous with that number uh, without having the, the data in front of me. But as far as AEW goes, I think, uh, who was, who was it? Was it? Cornette, who I heard once said that um, it was like the greatest crowdfunding project that's continuously going on in professional wrestling, because I think the fans that are the fans of it, and I'm quite frankly, I'm, I have been a fan from day one. My buddy once said to me, he goes, you just want something other than the WWE? And I go, yeah, I've wanted something other than the WWE since WCW closed, because I don't want just one option. You know, if I'm going out to eat and I want to get a burger, I don't want McDonald's to be my only choice. Sure, there's a lot of it, and everybody knows who it is, but it doesn't mean it's good. Occasionally, they'll come out with something good, but you don't want to wait for those few, uh, few and fleeting moments. Now, with people that there's a hardcore fan base behind um, what AEW is doing, and they're willing to spend their money on that, I just think, you know, it's like television ratings, and it's not just pro wrestling, it's all across the board. It's like just the way that, you know, People consume content now has changed drastically. That's continuously changing. The amount of people that are looking on their phones, watching, you know, some people might be watching on a YouTube clip. Some people might be watching on, the, again, we talked about the, the fight uh, streaming in Canada. So I think that the fact that they haven't lost and gone downhill is a good thing. And I think it's a very good thing. And I think it's, I, I, I just think it's kind of, and I'm not accusing you of this, I just think it's an old way of thinking of that, like, everything is live and die by the television ratings, and I get, because I can just, I can kind of hear your, your the wheels in your head turning, going, well, but Jake, that's how advertisers come on board and all that stuff, and I completely agree with that, and the higher your ratings are, the more you're, 
more you attract advertisers and the more money you make into your brand. But at the same time, it's, you know, we all see the little, the annoying little ads that pop up on the, the, uh, the YouTube clips where you want to watch a two-minute video and you got a 30-second commercial and you sit there and you can skip it after five. So I just think how things are measured and how things are measured in the entertainment industry have changed so, even the past five years really has changed so much and that it can only benefit AEW moving forward as long as they take advantage of their uh, their rabid fan base and I think it you know continues to grow. I have introduced plenty of people in my life to AEW and I'm being like, oh, okay, I had you're gonna love this one. I have a buddy of mine who runs our weekly pinball tournament. Text me at two o'clock in the morning. The only thing the text said was, why the heck did you never tell me about Orange Cassidy? <laughs> And I and I text him back. I'm like, oh yes, a slacker who comes out, who wrestles with his hands in his pockets and comes out to the Pixies. Why did I not tell you about this? He's like, I love it. <laughs> yeah. And he just happened to come across and discover it. So, you know, that was someone who doesn't watch WWE, who just isn't interested. It comes across and he's like, yeah, it's like yeah, I watched it back in the day, but now it just comes across as the like as we said our uh, WWE breakdown. It's like it's too polished. W. Part of the pun on this one, but AEW comes across very much raw at <laughs> They do. And uh, Orange Cassidy, you know, we were talking about the four pillars of AEW before. You know, one could say that the next uh, coming of that, the, the four pillars after them, uh, I would guess uh, Orange Cassidy, Dan Housen, Abaddon, and Fuego Del Sol. There you go. There's your next oh. four. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But that's the thing, though. If, if it's different and it gets people talking about it, my girlfriend loves Dan House. Yeah. He's a, go out of the way. You know, she's like, there's very few people on like WWE that she's like, oh, Roman Reigns, that's it. That's the only one she goes out of the way to see. AEW, she's got Dan House. Anything involving MJF and Wardlow, she's like, okay, you know, come on, we gotta watch this. It's like, whoa, okay, that's kind of cool. <laughs> you know? Well, so obviously they're doing something that's working. Yes, and I appreciate. Uh, that she has always been a Keith Lee fan. I, I respected her uh, the minute that I knew that, uh, the, that we had that in common, of uh, being a big Keith Lee fan. Uh, so she has very good taste in pro wrestling, no question about it. It's one of these things where, you know, we talk about WWE versus them. We've talked about this before. I mean, AEW maybe risks watering it down with this Jericho storyline, but it has become essentially pro wrestling versus sports entertainment. And Jericho is trying to get the heat for being the enemy within doing sports entertainment in AEW. But uh, again, you started to hear this around the time of All or Nothing, or, or uh, not All or Nothing, I'm getting the names mixed up, All Out. I just combined Double or Nothing and All Out. At All Out, they seem to be starting the whole thing of like, oh, if you love great pro wrestling, this is the place for you. We got the best pro wrestling in the world. And they really do need to continue to lean into that. Now, as I said before, they, there's nothing but bad faith takes out there on, on Twitter, it seems like, as far as people being critical of it. And sadly enough, you know, as somebody like Eric Bischoff, he has joined uh, the chorus recently here. He hasn't liked the way that Tony Khan critiqued the dying days of WCW. And uh, so he keeps talking about, oh, they'll never be mainstream the way that they are. They'll never be mainstream. I mean, and again, mainstream is easier said than done of how you get the opportunity to do this. And again, I don't really feel like it is an exclusionary kind of a thing, but there are some things that maybe they need to do better as far as explaining. I felt like for as much criticism as there was of CM Punk doing 
the old school ROH entrance back at Revolution. Oh, people won't understand this. Excalibur was 10 out of 10 explaining it. I mean, I never really saw much of CM Punk in ROH. And I've watched that entrance a million times. It's emotional as hell seeing him go back to his roots. And I mean, CM Punk is fighting back tears doing this. Like, if hearing Excalibur explain it, like, you got it. And we need more of this kind of stuff. And to a certain extent, maybe that goes to the ratings, because Tony Khan has said he studies the quarter hours a lot. Uh, I mean, again, he, he works in analytics for his dad's football and football teams, which, you know, I could make the cheap shot joke of how much time is he really spending on that based on how they do on the field. But uh, Tony Khan does know analytics. And he looks at the quarter hours, and again, and that's where, again, they try to be you know, very guarded in terms of how they use it. They don't like to do video packages a lot, but I feel like video packages are necessary. And that's the whole thing, is that I think that Tony Khan has this sort of sense in his head. I think he hears Vince McMahon's voice in his head, because Vince is so lowest common denominator about everything. You know, like, with, with it's, it's every presentation is so dumbed down, like how Pete Dunn is now like Butch the soccer, you know, hooligan. You know what I mean? Everything has to be so dumbed down. And he probably hears Vince's voice in his head like, Get it, pal? He likes feet. He likes feet, pal. Get it? That's good shiznit, pal. Not every explanation is lowest common denominator. You know, like Keith Lee, after his debut, there should have been a thing, and it could have been a lot of, you know, uh, talking head stuff with Excalibur, talking about this. Put up some of his indie footage and, like, why the fans start singing Bask in His Glory and, and do some things like that. Like, don't just leave it to, to the eyes to, uh, to observe stuff. And they leave a lot of the stuff to us to kind of figure out. And sometimes they do so erroneously. I mean, I saw somebody make this point recently on social media, and I observed it at the time. The first time... It might have been in the fall of 2019 that The Butcher and the Blade came out. I'd never heard of them. And the announcers are acting like it's the second coming of Hawk and Animal. Like, come on, man. Not everybody watched this, you know, little podunk indie place that they were in. And I don't mean any offense to them in this, but I mean, explain who the heck they are. Explain what their deal is. They need to explain more. There needs to be more video packages on their programming because that's the kind of stuff that makes it more accessible to people. And that would take away a lot of the bad faith arguments out there as far as it's an exclusionary product. It's only meant for people who know and have watched all the indies and everything like that. You could suck a lot of oxygen out of that kind of crap, Jake, if they get a little bit more in the way of explaining. I agree with you, but to the um, going back to the, 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 the where it's an exclusionary product, when did, before AEW, where were all of these indie darlings uh, debuting at? NXT, yes. NXT was like the super indie fed. Yes. When Adam Cole and, I'm just going to use him, when Adam Cole, Kyle Riley, and Bobby Fish debuted there, you didn't hear them saying like, oh my God, they were Ring of Honor and all this stuff. Like, no, they just said, hey, these guys are here. And took like, you know, they expected the audience to know it, I guess. But like every time the, the new signee would come in and they'd do the picture with Triple H and they'd do the two sweet or whatever, and then you'd sit in the crowd and the crowd would go nuts and be like, oh my God, that's so-and-so. They're back. They never were like, you know, uh, I'll, I'll use Drew McIntyre when he was in the audience. They didn't say like, you know, um, oh my God, that used to be Drew McIntyre. He was in 3MB and then he went to Impact Wrestling and reinvented himself as Drew Galloway and it's totally turned. No, they just went, you know who it is. You know why they're here. So... 
those people, I, I, I point this out because those same people that are criticizing AEW for this are the same ones that were praising NXT for doing the exact same thing back in the day. So it's like, you know, I just think it's an example of there's too many trolls out there and too many people that will find things to complain about and be like, you know, oh, well, this is like, you know, not being done right. I agree that they need to have video packages and they need, you know, once somebody comes in, develop more of, okay, well, who is this person? Yes. Why are they here? What are, What is your reason? Other than, here, go out and have a match. Okay, and they have a match. And then maybe they win, maybe they lose. And that's it. It's like, I agree, there needs to be a lot more character development with various people there. But for people to be, but for the, the same trolls to be, you know, knocking AEW for doing a very similar technique that NXT was doing that everybody loved, uh, I just think that's, you know, People trying to stir up stuff so that they can get ratings or uh, to get clicks for whatever it is on their podcast or sound bites that are taken. You mentioned Bischoff. It's like everything for that. Bischoff's just doing that to promote his brand. That's right. He just he's just working. He's just absolutely working to promote his brand so that people will be like, "Oh my God, you sure what so and so says?" There's a funny thing, okay, on my uh, social media feed. I'll see a thing, and it always annoys me because I, I don't know which one it is. One of the various ten thousand wrestling um, sites that, you know, cover stuff. It'll, it'll say something like, um, WWE legend says this and, you know, uh, about something in AEW. And nine times out of ten, it's freaking Vince Russo, who's always, like, commenting on anything to keep his name relevant out there. And I'm just putting around, like, no, I'm going to click on it because I know it's just Russo saying something, you know, so people will talk about it. And it's like, you know, no, no disrespect, whatever, you know, everyone's got to make a living. But at the same time, it's like, man, you haven't been relevant in a very long time, and you're arcing back to a, a different time and a different era, and we're not in that time and era anymore, and your way of thinking just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. The only thing I would say about what you said about NXT is I feel like, however inadvertently, you were making my point for me, because within the WWE universe, NXT was the niche product. And indeed, that's why Vince never fully clutched it to his bosom, because it was a niche product, and that's what we loved about it. And it's a thing where AEW is trying to transcend that on a business level. So the whole, you know who they are, you know what they're doing, that kind of thing, I just, I think it doesn't work as well. And again, I'm not giving credence to what the trolls are saying, and I'm not saying that they'll stop with all of the bad faith takes if they start explaining more and doing more character development and doing more background. But I think it's one of these things where it behooves them to really do it. And I'll tell you what, Jake, we're going to find out if they're capable of absorbing that lesson in the next month because there needs to be wall-to-wall video packages, explanations, whatever, on the New Japan guys leading up to the Forbidden Door pay-per-view. Guys like me and you, we, we, we were all in, pardon the pun, the minute they announced it. Guys like us were salivating about this. But any of the quote-unquote casuals out there, if anybody just flips on and sees it there, they need to understand why the New Japan guys are a big deal. You need some talk about Okada and Naito and all these guys out there of like why they are so special and why you got to tune into this pay-per-view to see them. The next 30 days or so are going to be very, very vital in seeing if they're capable of absorbing this lesson because they got to explain like never before to try to reach a little bit of a wider audience as to why this is such a special pay-per-view. I agree with you. I, I, I agree with that. And also, 
just to piggyback on it. They also have to convince, you know, people to be like, why they need to drop another $40 one month after they just dropped $50 for the previous pay-per-view uh, being um, double or nothing coming up this weekend. And then let them, pretty much a month later is the uh, Forbidden Door pay-per-view where it has to be like saying, hey, this is something that is special. This is something that, you know, here are these guys go into the backstory of New Japan Pro Wrestling, how it has, you know, been around for and have worked with, you know, every promotion pretty much that has ever existed as like, you know, as far as their relationship going, how they've had a, how do I want to word this? How they've had a constant presence within the United States of America, the United States wrestling scene, and how they have worked with, you know, the whatever the leading promotion was in America at the time. And right now, at this time, it is AEW. You know, they can bring up the fact that, you know, tie in, you know, have sit-down interviews with the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega as they talk about their time in New Japan and how it made them become, you know, the performers they are today. Um, you know, various, uh, uh, Brian Danielson is another great one right there. And we'll also at the same time, use those guys to put over, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna tip my card on this one, uh, uh, before we get to the, um, uh, I'm gonna play my card, I'm sorry. Uh, I did what you did, I mixed two sayings together. <laughs> I'm going to play my card. I personally feel the time is, as far as putting, you know, awareness on the brand, and helping that growth we're talking about, put the world championship on CM Punk. Right. He is much more known. He is much more of an established name. Casual fans from WWE back in the day, they know who he is. Um, even people who watched him, for better or worse, get his ass kicked in the UFC, know who he is. They know of him. He's, he is a much bigger name. And to have I, the reason why I, I, I play that card now is because... Theoretically, then you could do the main event of CM Punk versus Okada, and right. have CM Punk talk about how great Okada is, and how this is the you know the dream match or the toughest challenge he's ever faced to the point where using his mic skills and his verbiage to put over you know this is like one of the biggest challenges I've ever personally had to face. I think you have to use the talent that's here as a um, mediator to put over these guys that, quite frankly, you know, don't just come in and be like, oh my God, this is so-and-so, he's awesome. Okay, but why? Right. Let the people who are facing them tell the audience why this person that they're facing is going to be awesome. Why this is such a thing. Like, I heard one of the um, uh, potential matches is Andrade against Naito, which I'm like, why? But both of them were like, were they not founding members? Was it Los, uh, sorry. Intergobalists or whatever? Um, um, um. Yes. Yeah, I'm, yeah, okay. I'm going match is as good as mine. But like, <laughs> if you tell the story of that, it's like, oh, okay, this match makes sense, and it gives you a reason to care about it. Right. Like, you know, there's a huge backstory to that. I don't get the, you know, going back to the criticism. Not many people are like, you know, oh, nobody cares about these guys did on, you know, this indie fed in or on the Independence in 2010 or whatever. It's like, well, in that case, you know what, dude. Nobody cares. Why should anybody who watched WWF in 1991 give a crap what Ric Flair did in, in Jim Crocker promotions? Right. They make the same argument. Right. <laughs> well, except that the one thing would be that wrestling was bigger. I mean, coming out of the 80s, it was a boom period, at least in the WWF, and to a certain extent, the NWA before it headed south. So there was more people who knew who the wrestlers were as opposed to today when you know wrestling isn't as mainstream. 
that that's maybe the differentiation I would make there. Although I, I basically I basically agree with your point, and I would say. Uh, real quick on that though, Rick. There was also far there was also far less meet, uh, forms of entertainment back then too. Yes. There's so much more options now. So much more. Yes. Back then it was very very limited to what was available. We're the infancy of cable television. You know the fact that they got 50, on a 15.2 rating, whatever it was on NBC. You know, it's the highest rated professional wrestling show of all time. It's still Hogan versus Andre because there was nothing else to do. Right. I would agree with that. Uh, the, the other thing is, too, it, it, the most obvious part of this with the tie-in with Forbidden Door is that with New Japan, I mean, there's no all-elite wrestling, at least the form that it's in, without all without New Japan and the Bullet Club. I mean, this came out of the Bullet Club. What is the elite the elite of? The elite of the Bullet Club. And, and this is where everything flows out of it, and the success of the Bullet Club which, again, when you look at Hot Topic with the shirts and everything like that, that was the biggest movement post-WCW that we'd really seen in the United States. And that's what kind of set the table. That was, that was some of the seeds of what we're seeing you know, with, with the formation of AEW subsequently, the all-in pay-per-view and then everything that came thereafter. But Tony Khan needs to be, uh, again, he needs to be ready to acknowledge all of the history that's there and I think, you know, it's a promising sign. The fact that the Bullet Club and Jay White were a central part of the announcement of Forbidden Door was a good sign. What I didn't like was, if you remember a couple months back when Jay White did the one appearance on Dynamite, remember it was when Tony Khan kind of screwed up and he, he, he mentioned there was a debuting wrestler coming in and the Forbidden Door and he, he sort of meant both of those things for Keith Lee, but he realized when fans started tweeting at him that Keith Lee didn't fit the Forbidden Door, he's like, oh crap, i got to go get somebody to walk through the Forbidden Door, and he got Jay White. I don't remember a single freaking reference to Bullet Club in Jay White's segment. It was like, oh, this guy's so great, he's one of the great guys from New, from, uh, from, uh, New Japan. Oh, he's a... And I don't think they ever said Bullet Club once, or said any of the specific things about what makes him so great, and what makes him one of the biggest stars out there. And... I can't help but wonder, you go back to about this time last year, when Kenny Omega was doing the belt collector thing, and he had that match coming up in Impact, the uh, unification match with Rich Swan for both the TNA and Impact World titles, which was weird that they had both of them there at that time. And like the week of the pay-per-view, there was the briefest cursory mention on AEW television, like just very, very brief. And somebody asked Tony Khan about it later, and he was like, Hey, look, man, I, no offense, but it's not my job to sell Impact's pay-per-views for him. And I'm looking at this like that is being penny-wise pound foolish because you have to tell the story because if Kenny Omega is going to be walking out on your TV with, with these two extra belts, if you haven't done anybody to prepare anybody for that, for him coming out with the two extra belts, it's just like, oh, Kenny Omega's got two more belts than he did last week. I felt like at the time... Tony Khan was missing the point of that, because yes, Impact was benefiting a lot from the arrangement, their ratings were way up, their buy rates were way up, everything like this, but you have to fully commit to whatever you're doing without always saying what's in it for me, and I do think uh, Tony Khan is growing past that at this point. I'm seeing good signs of it in the relationship with New Japan, but it's a thing where he can't be afraid to have his announcers go out there and talk about Bullet Club 60 times an hour 
without having a thought in his head that says, hey, wait a minute, I'm not making a cut off of their t-shirts. You know what I mean? It's got to be one of these things where it's not a matter of being selfless. It's a matter of like you tell the entire story so that you can benefit from it as the story unfolds so people are more invested in the full story. And that's, like I said, I think Tony Khan is showing signs of having grown past where he was a year ago on that with Impact. I truly hope that's the case anyways. No, I agree with you because you have to go into that story, like you said. I mean, with, without the Bullet Club, there is no elite wrestling. Right. And that's the story that needs to be told. That, you know, that from the, these guys from the ashes. And you know what's interesting about that, too? Bullet Club is now in every single, almost every federation. Yeah. You look at it, every promotion. Yeah. Like, when, when, uh, on Monday Night Raw, when AJ Styles and Finn Balor did up the two sweet, it wasn't because they were in the NWO. It was a reference to them still being in Bullet Club. Right. It's like, they're like hey, we're still in Bullet Club, you know? They're making, they're, they can't say it, but they're in Bullet Club. That's what that is. You know, when, you know, then um, uh, to go back to what you said about Jay White, I'm pretty sure Adam Cole mentioned something about what he debuted about Bullet Club. Maybe. I think he said briefly, not really going into it, but it was like, okay, and now you've got, like, you know, uh, Impact's running strong with their, uh, their the Bullet Club on their show. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I would absolutely love to see some kind of, you know, you want to put these guys together, do the confrontation of Bullet Club versus the Elite. Absolutely. Tell the, tell that story of being like, you know, you have the member of Bullet Club, you can have Jay White leading the Bullet Club and be like, you guys left us. You left us. You guys abandoned all of us for yourselves. You know? That's there's, true. There's a whole story that's right there. It's like, you know, if it wasn't for us, like, you guys built this, and then you guys ran off for higher, you know, for greener pastures. Meanwhile, we're the ones keeping everything alive and going that is the foundation for every single thing that you have here. So, and I guess, you know, going back to Jay White, it's being like, you know, if it wasn't for us, none of this exists. Yes, and uh, quite frankly, I could see that being the case. I think Jay White uh, is going to be somebody that's going to be instrumental down the road because they've already been teasing it when Omega comes back that uh, it looks like it might be Jay White with Adam Cole and Red Dragon against the Bucks and Kenny, and then maybe that's the reunion with Hangman Page. But the other thing is, we talked about this uh, when we talked about AEW late last summer, was I said at the time, they need to do trios titles. And Tony Khan has basically confirmed there will be trios titles. He basically said, we're just waiting on Omega, which tells me that that's going to be centered around the breakup of the super elite. But it's a thing here where, I mean, there are so many great factions, and you know we'll talk about this a little bit more once we get into the pay-per-view, but between uh, the two sub-factions of the elite, it looks like the uh, the pinnacle is gone, although they have yet to do the final blow-off between FTR and uh, MJF. Maybe that's coming at some point. Uh, but basically, but with the Jericho Appreciation Society, uh, the Blackpool Combat Club, on and on and on it goes, plus the very deep roster of tag teams. Just have the tag teams align with another wrestler. Uh, Best Friends is basically a stable unto itself. Uh, Best Friends slash Rapongi Vice slash whatever. I mean... They have the depth out there to really treat those trio titles uh, like something very, very valuable, and that will give everybody out there one more thing to go for that will be very valued and a good use of TV time. And it will give people reason to have all of these groups on TV. Yes. Something to, uh, something to go after and something to be competing for. That's why you're saying Dark Order is the name that popped into my Dark head. Dark Order. Triangle, another one popped into my head yep. while you were uh, talking about that. The, 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 the 
House of Black. Um, you should mention them, but you know, there's and then various uh, Team Taz. I mean, if you you know once they separate because they want to put Hook back in with them, but you know, there's so many different options of guys that you know it'll give them something and it'll justify why we're having all of these uh, trios or six man tag team matches that are going on, and it'll add you know just another level of intrigue. And my question is, and it goes back to the very beginning of our conversation about Ring of Honor, who also has the trios tag team titles. Do you just wipe those out, or do you flip those, or you have it where, like, you know, they can go against each other? Maybe one day at some point you like, you know, a, a Super Bowl of wrestling or something that Jim Ross had the idea of when the um, when Jim Crockett bought the UWF way back in the day. Because if you look at it, like, a lot of their titles kind of match up against each other, where you could make, you know, you could, well, growing one brand, you could also subsequently have the other brand piggyback off of it but you know going back to where you know giving all of these guys something to shoot for just 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 a thought dare i say it kind of like brand warfare at the survivor series is that what you're uh, yeah, but, tapping I mean, into yeah kind of but not really because okay. that's just manufactured in yes <laughs> yes <laughs> absolutely like, oh, i wear a blue shirt now because i got <laughs> traded here last week who cares nobody cares like, uh, oh man, I can't wait! I can't wait for this year's Survivor Series when Roman wrestles himself. Yes, yes, that will uh, that will be absolutely amazing if he bothers to even be on the pay per view. Well, yes, and you just brought it full circle there to the ROH uh, stuff. Uh, that was the extent of my macro level thoughts. Uh, any ma- other macro level thoughts for the state of ROH for you, Jake Digman? Are you going to say AEW? Uh, I, I'm, uh, AEW, my bad. <laughs> um. No, I'm excited. Like, like our conversation last time, I'm excited to see where uh, things are going moving forward. Um, I think, you know, they're on the right trajectory. I think, you know, hopefully, uh, the last time their contract came up for renewal, I do believe they were given more money, correct? Yes. Through, uh, and hopefully, you know, they, if they show that they can be consistent and steady and in brand awareness, hopefully, like, you know, they, because uh, of the, uh, let's face it, the name of the game right now is in your television rights and the amount of money you get from that because it's not like they're making all their money off of, you know, the live event needs. Uh, and hopefully, in a year from now, when we revisit this, if we haven't done so sooner, hopefully by then, you know, someone has come up with some kind of a streaming deal with HBO Max and then um, you and I will be sitting there talking about, um, you know, finding that classic ROH match that we can watch from 2006 on HBO Max, which is being like, what? That's a sentence that would never would have been said three years ago. And I, I almost forgot, speaking of ROH, this is a, an inside baseball, just for you, my friend. When, um, <laughs> when uh, uh, the CM Punk came out for his entrance um, against MJF, and he did his old school ROH entrance, in the back, I, I was cheering. I was uh, part of the butt. I was marking out. However, <laughs> in my head, the person who I saw the most was the ghost of Kyle Ross marking out, and he's not even dead. <laughs> I, just, I just, for some reason, just pictured Kyle Ross somewhere, just like crying, going like 2007 Kyle Ross, be like, "This is the greatest day of my life." <laughs> <laughs> that actually has the ring of truth to it. I can understand why you had that mental image. <laughs> that just makes it even better, you know. But yeah, no. It was the first person I thought of when I saw it. I was yes. Like, oh, I know. Lepers is going to appreciate this. Yes. Yes. A uh, few, 
Few have ever cherished uh, the ROH uh, promotion like uh, Kyle Ross, a truly, truly devoted fan of theirs, to be sure. 